Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Work Therapy Podcast, our little corner of the internet where we explore the modern work landscape, how to navigate it, and even make it more meaningful. You know, we like to say around here, the struggle is real, but the possibilities are endless. I am Brooke, your host and founder here at In Good Company and delighted to have you. I am really looking forward to introducing you to my friend and colleague, Daniel McCall. He is a coach and consultant for individuals and teams that want to be more productive and happy. And I will say from my experience, he does a very good job of that. He's an expert in integrated leadership that integrates our humanity with our work life and that it also integrates teams for higher levels of communication. So Daniel, I would, yeah, welcome. Hi. Hi. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Yes. And I wish everybody, I'll have to snap a picture of you and your camper. What what do you call your camper, RV? Uh, It's Merlin. This is Merlin the Magic Machine. And it started as a mobile office and now it's like a total mobile full-time unit. So it's amazing. And you did it all yourself with your, your dad helped you, right? I did. I did it uh, mostly by myself. My dad helped me lots and lots of YouTube video tutorials <laughs> and figuring things out and many, many trips to uh, Lowe's. And uh, it's wonderful. I've been full-timing in it now almost a year and a half. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I love it. Very inspiring. And yeah, if you'll just, you know, before we go to the check-in question, I would love just your take on, you know, I mentioned that you do like, you're really an expert in integrated leadership. So I'd love for you to dive Mm -hmm. into that just for our audience and talk more about it. And then we'll get into our check-in question. Yeah. Well, uh, Thank you so much, Brooke. Uh, My name's Daniel. I'm a certified light year coach. And when I talk about integrated leadership, what really, well, what first comes to mind is what integrated leadership is not, honestly. And that's (laughs) kind of like a lot of the problems we see or we face, the challenges we face with leadership today. So an integrated leader is someone who is able to bring their full self their full life and their full kind of spectrum of being human into their leadership role and be able to integrate those different domains that we might have siloed according to traditional leadership. Like leadership is often uh, taught as like, you know, leave the emotional life at home or leave the family at home or leave the problems at the door. And there's a way that that gets taught and kind of institutionalized. And then we get these teams and structures and corporations where people don't seem fully alive or don't seem to be able to fully like tap into their own sense of humanity. And the integrated leader is really about recognizing we're full spectrum human beings, recognizing we're like emotional beings that have reactions. And we all have these little, um, you know, human, I want to call them eccentricities, except we all have them, (laughs) but we all have the kind of human quirks that make us, you know, unique individuals. And it's about marrying that up with my work domain and and, and integrating all those different uh, facets of me. I love that. I love how you started. Sometimes it's easier to understand something by stating what it's not. And it's funny because I just did a post on LinkedIn this week about like, you know, work-life integration, right? I'm like, I think the word balance just doesn't work. 
Yeah, because it's not, it, it isn't a seesaw act. It's not like you can spend time over here in your work life and just completely ignore, you know, all the other things you have going on. And the same thing, you can't only, you know, focus in on one domain of your life and ignore your work or your career or your vision and your goals. Yeah, it all belongs together, right? And yeah. how to do that. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit. Again, so happy you're here. Really looking forward to this conversation today and always love to start with the check-in question. The question I have is, what is something you have changed your mind about or your perspective on recently? So this could be something bigger meta or something simple. What comes up yeah. for you? Uh, this is such a fun topic <laughs> because... I've called myself a lot of things. I've called myself a vision and goals coach, uh, uh, integrated leadership coach. I call myself a communications coach frequently. <laughs> and I also call myself a mindset coach because often what I'm helping people be coached through is, is, a, is a shift in their perspective or a shift in their mind frame. And why I like talking about it is because we have these mindsets and yet the truth of it is our mind is never really set. Like I probably have my mind set on four different things for dinner just tonight. And it's like bouncing between all those different <laughs> different things that I could want for dinner. Like my mind gets set on something I'm like, okay, yeah, we're going to do like some pasta tonight. And that's going to be so good. And then a couple hours later, I'm like, I can't even think of eating noodles. And like, I've noticed my mind has changed. <laughs> so the first thing to notice about the mind is that it changes by nature. Like that's what it's designed to do. I'm constantly faced with decision points throughout the day. So my mind is going to change. And when I recognize that that's really the nature of the mind is to kind of jump from different mindsets or frameworks or perspectives to another, it makes it easier to recognize when it's happening around something like uh, more impactful in my life or more emotional or more, um, maybe just more important in my life. So like right now, I part-time caretake for my parents who've just experienced a lot of medical issues this year and they need additional support. And, you know, frequently I'm convinced of something, like a mindset will come in where I'm like, oh my God, they're just awful people. <laughs> taking care of them. or or i'm a bad son or i don't do enough to take care of them or i should be doing more or just all these different things i would call each one of those a perspective or a point of view or a mindset and so knowing that mindsets change the first thing i do is like allow myself to actually feel those things so if, like if i am angry at myself or angry with my parents i don't try to just like soothe it over and, and like fix it right away, it becomes important information about like what's happening, right? There's some communication that could happen probably on a higher level to make things better. And so the mind shift really comes from allowing myself to have reactions and have those emotions, not letting my whole life run away with them, simply allowing the space for them to happen. And then it becomes much easier to recognize like, oh yeah, I really disliked my parents earlier today and they're great now, you know, <laughs> or, you know, I was really feeling glum about, you know, fulfilling on my role as a son and I'm fine now. Like I actually feel really good. I've done a lot of great work. And, and that's kind of how I work with mindset coaching partly like validating whatever mindset you're in, as well as looking for the shift that's going to take us to that next 
place we need to go. Yeah. Amazing. I love it. Thank you even for like going deep and like sharing, like how, how does all this kind of work? You know, how do we even look at how our mind shifts and the, our perspectives? Yeah. It's funny. It's my favorite stuff to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love it too. So this is hilarious and goes kind of my check-in question with what you were saying. I woke up Sunday, went on a run like I do every morning and was just like thanking God, like, thank you for just like a simple place to live right now, just with what's going on in the world, knowing we're heading into election year, knowing that things get hot, you know, and just like, you know, just the simplicity because anybody that knows me knows that I, I struggle with living in Waco. So that was my perspective in the morning. I go on a walk with girlfriends later that afternoon. We're talking about this place. It's my favorite establishment in Waco, like concept. And I found out that they switched out from selling Intelligentsia coffee to a local coffee that I don't particularly like. You would have thought, I mean, my, I was like, I, I, I hate, I, I can't do this anymore. Like I was devastated and angry and frustrated. I was yeah. like, that's like my one thing that I don't love and it got taken away. <laughs> so I honestly had to sleep on it, but that is, you know, again, our mind kind of goes, our, our, our mind chef can shift. And again, today, like right before we got on the call, I, how I started out when we were getting ready for the podcast, I was like, I'm so proud of myself, Daniel. I made uh, three returns and I had to get some like extra checking accounts. My accountant wanted me to it in my business checking account place, the local bank. I did that. I made a deposit at our personal checking account place, Wells Fargo. And then I went and hugged a friend that needed a hug. And I did that within one hour. <laughs> so That's amazing. You could not do that in a big city. So again, I can barely I get off my block in an hour when I'm inside the city. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, our perspectives change and it, it's so important to have that. And it was good for me to, in a playful way, acknowledge that to you today. Like I need to continue to speak those mm -hmm. things out, like those, the good perspective and mindset shifts because it's, yeah, it's important to acknowledge it. Right. And not just be like, oh, I got a lot done. It's like, I had a lot done. And part of how I did that was I do live in a small town. So there are really beautiful things that I benefit from. Let's dive into our listener issue today. It's not really a question. Like we just, we reviewed it right before we hopped on. It's more of a, it's an issue. So when people are, you know, filling out. Yeah, it's a situation. It's a situation. Right? <laughs> we all have situations at work. And just a reminder for those of you listening, if you have a situation after the episode, go in, click on the survey link and send us your situation. And uh, so we can respond to it. This person is the director of Office of Equality Programs, and they are currently dealing with leadership making uninformed decisions without bringing in what they, they're called SMEs, which means subject matter experts, whom their decisions ultimately affect. And these people that are subject matter experts that aren't brought in to these decisions are then forced to clean up the mess that they were unaware of. So they're being, it sounds like they're being a little bit cut out of the process, maybe not even intentionally, but they're kind of paying for it, right? Cleaning it up. Mm -hmm. And the example they gave was making budgetary decisions without weighing the historic efforts around the current way funding is allocated in a fair and equitable way for programming 
which is leading to problems that they had already predicted would happen. So that's what's so sad. There's like data and information there that leadership isn't really pulling from. I can understand that would be frustrating. And they said they would like support around handling this conflict, dealing with that stress and pressure, and then just how to make some of those decisions. So Daniel, where would you like to start? So many places with this. This is, uh, I really enjoyed reading this as like a situation because it's something that I, I see often and have a sense that people experience often, especially if they're working in an organization that has a little bit more of a tiered hierarchy and a very structured decision-making roles, things like that, where people are often at the impact of other people's decisions. Uh, so I think I want to talk about the conflict first. So talking about handling conflicts. Um, the first thing that I will tell anyone who's facing any type of conflict whatsoever is that you're never going to get out of it. Conflict resolution and conflict management, kind of the buzzwords of the, the communications industry, is never about avoiding conflict or, or suppressing or um, like just not having conflict. Like that's just a more, that's an unrealistic expectation. So like, that's just the first thing to know is like, we're not going to not have conflict. So I think it's important then to distinguish useful conflict from not useful or not helpful conflict, because that's where a lot of people get, um, sideways and they veer a little more into what I would call um, conflict games, which are like being right or being the smartest person in the room or being better. <laughs> like there's these little games we play uh, around conflict that it's really easy to get pulled into because again, we're emotional human beings. We have reactions and, um, and that's just usually not helpful conflict. Now there is, useful conflict. There's helpful conflict. And that's when um, we're using conflict to actually look for where are there breakdowns in communication that need to be restored. Uh, like it looks just at a glance at this situation, right? There's probably some communication barriers between uh, the, um, the subject matter experts and like what data they have. And then those with the decision-making power, like there's obviously something there uh, where there's a barrier to to some uh, communication. And so it's actually going to be useful to have conflict there, right? So it could mean, um, you know, skillfully calling people out uh, if they're not recognizing impacts of the, the work that they're doing or the decisions they're making. It could mean mm -hmm. going, uh, you know, over someone or laterally to someone again skillfully and with intention to actually uh heal the communication barriers not to make someone you know right or wrong like that kind of a thing so like we want to have conflict and we want to start to learn how we react to conflict so that we can stay again that integrated leader who's a whole human being and still navigate like challenging conversations um what else? I made one more note here <laughs> is that the uh, the conflict is always important because it shows us who we're being, right? And if I'm being someone who's got to be right, who's got to be in control, or who's got to look good, I'm typically not operating from like my highest and most integrated self. 
So like, that's where the conflict gets interesting. It's like, am I being emotional and reactive or am I recognizing and honoring my emotions as really good information? And I think it's good to point out like a lot of times, like when I shared, you know, what I changed my perspective on how quickly my mindset shifted about where I lived when I found out my favorite coffee was no longer being served. That was react. That was a reactive round. Like I was ready to start a petition. (laughs) Right. Get all the people who agree with you about the best coffee to serve and who should serve it. And I'm not saying, and again, we don't want to like, um, it's not I don't wrong. Minim- maybe I don't want to minimize that. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's an the, emotional response. <laughs> it's the f- I I tell people all the time like if you feel reactive, lit up. I had a visceral reaction. That is not. That doesn't make you wrong. It makes you human. It's just what you do with that. <laughs> so I needed to like yeah. sleep on it before I like sent out a petition. Right, right. and. I actually had to get like, I was actually so reactive that I had to get some intervention from a, it was like, don't do it. Don't do it tonight. Like that. And I was like, thank you. Okay. It was very humbling to not do it. And it was hard because I wanted to like, you know, um, but I, that wouldn't have been like, I don't think a beneficial way to like address the conflict. Right. And for the first round, right. For that. But yeah, the first round is usually reactive. So I think I try to help people realize like, because you're feeling strong, doesn't mean that person's wrong or that you're wrong. It just means, oh, like you said, your body's telling you there is a conflict. Yeah. And then the next round is, okay, how do I do this from a place that's not out of reactivity or me playing games? What does it look like to do this in a healthy way? So yeah. And that's really the next thing that this this yeah. person asks about is like, how do you deal with um, just stress and pressure in general? You know, and then again, I'm assuming around this conflict specifically. So like, like conflict, again, it's not the whole point of like stress release techniques, nervous system soothing isn't to not have any stress whatsoever because then you're pretty much just dead. (laughs) Like that's the definition of zero stress, I think, is you're just simply dead. It's about recognizing stress and pressure are actually signals from our body, from our mind, from our soul, sometimes they're signals. And, And that those signals are showing us what's important to us. Like there's something deeply important about your coffee consumption routine. It was right? about there's culture, actually, like it, and about there's something innovation. important about it. Yeah, yeah. It, was way, it was about way more than coffee. And so, so you can see like, wow, I had this emotional response around something as seemingly as simple as like a brand of, of coffee that's being used. Now, now you see like, oh, there's actually more behind it. And then you get to unpack those layers. And with practice and persistence, we can have these emotional responses and use them to help us take a choiceful action rather than reactive actions. You know, the reactive actions, like you, you get everyone on your bandwagon about the coffee that you want to have and you like browbeat a business into doing, it, you know, and then there's way more skillful options. You know, like the business might need to know 
your emotional response. Like, oh my God, I was so sad when this happened because I love this type of coffee and here's why. Such a helpful piece of communication for a business to receive from a customer when it's not lashing out at them for changing the coffee. No, I think, Daniel, thanks for bringing that up. I think that this is just so important too. And I found like, you know, I'm six episodes in and it, we're talking about conflict one way or the other in every episode. It looks different. It has different ways it shows up and it's important, right? It's important to continue to look at this in lots of ways, say it in different ways, because it it's the number one issue that people end up going home with that affects their day-to-day lives in a big way mm-hmm. when it's not dealt with in a healthy way or it's try you try to avoid it, et cetera. So we talked like decision-making, like let's go into that a little bit because it sounds like they're having a difficult time knowing how to decide how to go about this or just in making a decision. Decision-making is, um, is all about slicing. Actually, (laughs) the decision word comes, it has a root, uh, that, is similar to like incision, decision and incision when you're cutting something or excise, excision when you're cutting something off. So a thing to know about decision-making is that it does usually involve like a cutting off or letting go of other options. And so that's something that all humans need to be able to emotionally deal with. When you make a decision, sometimes it does preclude other avenues of attack or other ways of handling things, other options. And so if we're not ready to deal with that, like it it puts this kind of kink in our decision-making process because then we start the what-ifing. Well, what if this happens or what if that goes wrong or what if that goes right? And they can kind of have a spiral. So there's always an emotional quality to decisions, but it might not be the same for everyone. So it's important to know this is the number one most important thing about decision-making is knowing who has the decision-making responsibility for a task or a project and having it be clear. I mean, I can't tell you how many times uh, I ran yoga studios for over 15 years. We had a team of 150 people. I can't tell you how many times people were waiting on me to make a decision that I didn't know was mine to make, or I didn't know there like it was on the table for me to make the decision. And then people kind of just waiting for a decision to happen that isn't even in my field of awareness. Oh, right. So, so there's a piece where like, if someone's waiting on me to make a decision, I need to know they're waiting on me. Like there's that level of communication. And then there's also like being the decision maker and owning, making a decision knowing that I'm going to cut off some options. I may actually cut out uh, people from the um, decision-making process, simply uh, so many reasons. um, One of the biggest challenges with decision-making with large groups of people is thinking that everyone has to weigh in on decision-making process. So that's one of the things we have traditional hierarchies and business structures for so like some decision making is built in and and you kind of need that so that the the responsibility does stop with someone right so you need you you have to have those things and often what i would do as an early manager was get too many people's input in the decision making process where like all of a sudden you know 
people two or three levels down a management chain would feel like they have to give me their entire backstory along with their thoughts on a decision. And it would just take too long to actually make decisions that would move the business forward, like in a timely manner. Right. And so oftentimes people actually ask too many people for input or they don't clearly align people that they're seeking input and not giving them decision-making power. And that's one of the challenges I face on both ends of being like a manager and someone under management is like, I might have to give people advice, like advise on a situation, <laughs> and I still might not have the decision-making power for that situation. So yeah. I have to be able to offer up what I see to the best of my ability and also not take on someone else's actual decision-making responsibility. And that's a very emotional place to be where I have to be in alignment with people and not always in agreement. I actually don't have to agree with every decision made for every company. Yet if I'm working there, I do need to find ways to be in alignment both internally with myself and with the company or organization I'm working with. Yeah. And, you know, we, we both, we have the same teacher and you work with her, which is amazing. And I've learned really too from her about the difference between alignment and agreement. And it is so helpful with the teams I work with. They're, mm -hmm. they almost like breathe a sigh of relief. I mean, they have a, maybe at the first round, like we were talking about the reactive round of like, yeah. No, like we have a, a lot of people have a consensus making culture. They either, they swing for like from to, either like total, like command and control, right? Nobody has input or like consensus. So everybody gets to have their input. Everybody has to agree and they spin in circles and projects just die on the wayside, yeah. right? Yeah. All the time. It's, it's just, you know, you can have a personal project or personal company that you take a long time to make decisions with. and But once you start working with a team, you've got to learn to align to be able to move things forward. Yeah. So alignment doesn't equal agreement. And that's what I tell people. I'm like, hey, you don't have to agree. You just, what, we, what we're requesting is your commitment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that brings in personal responsibility and an understanding of, okay, am I committed? Because that's what we're really needing from people. Their commitment, right. not just yes, like when they don't mean it. It's like, yeah. can you commit to this even if you don't agree with it? Yeah, and if not, like that's good information too. Like if you're working with an organization or a company that you cannot align with and commit yeah and uh, and commit then that that's important information for you to know because the highest solution is most likely going to be find a new place that you can be in that type of alignment with yourself and with an organization and that can actually be beneficial for both parties like the business doesn't need someone causing drag uh, on their performance and no one should kind of subsume themselves simply to have the job or to get the paycheck. Like we should yeah. be able to be in an align interior alignment about what we do in the world as well. Yeah. And that brings us back to decision-making when you just articulating the root of the word to cut off. You know, I mm -hmm. recently, I've been a part of like a cohort mastermind for I guess nine months and through like a lot of thought. I just, you know, there's been really good information. I love the, the person who's heading it up. And I just was like, I can't, I need to make a decision to like not continue to do this. And it has been a bit of painful, right? 
Um, but what it's helped me to do is to kind of clarify like next steps, right? Sometimes if we, there's a decision to make and we're not making it because we don't want that cut off, we're not getting to experience what's next, right? Yeah. And, and not making a decision is completely making a decision. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, we don't really totally. we don't get out of it that we can we can we can certainly wait until the last you know intelligent or responsible moment to make a decision and that's very different from not making a decision because we think if we don't make a decision nothing will happen okay so let's let me do my best to sum it up and then you can too so we okay yeah <laughs> okay decision making we'll just start there because that's where we ended is mm-hmm there is sometimes something that needs to be cut off. Like there is something that we're going to lose and that's good to recognize. You said the key thing though, who has the decision-making rights and responsibility? Mm -hmm. Asking and answering that question is a way to effectively move things forward. It's not a one and done thing too. Like even if you clarify, you may need to clarify again. Oh yeah. And then you, there's a difference between useful conflict and conflict that is not useful. And what I heard you say is, how did you say it? You said reactive conflict versus... Yeah, so um, when we're in reaction, largely it's not useful conflict. When we're in reaction, we're usually perpetuating one of those drama triangle points where we're either like victimizing ourselves or someone else, or we're trying to be dominating and controlling. And and those conflicts are full of struggle and emotion, yet they're not really resolvable. Yeah. Because they're reactive. They're just not resolvable. Useful conflict will have some form of resolution eventually. Yep. Yes. Okay. We gave everybody a lot to chew on really quick. Uh, best booker podcast you've read this month that we can recommend. Oh, the best. Okay. My favorite podcast is, um, 99% invisible. Uh, I'm a designer by schooling and training. So design process is just huge in my, in my mind. And, 99% 99% invisible looks at the hidden design between common uh common everyday objects and spaces so like they recently just did a series on trails so everything from like uh like the Appalachian Trail like this massive transcontinental trail system to like simple little urban trails you start to see all the hidden design that goes into creating them um, uh either like the Appalachian Trail which was connected over you know, hundreds of years and lots of different trail systems to things that are actually designed and created all in a single day. So I just love design. And I really like when we get to see like the systems uh, of design behind everyday spaces. I love it. I love it. I need to listen to that one. It's such a good one. Yeah, that's a good, I may do that on my walk tonight. Okay. A song song that we can add to our work therapy playlist love it i love music i listen to music more than anything else so more than even like reading or watching tv like music is almost just always playing and um i've recently been obsessed with this group out of uh, it's a bluegrass group out of utah not a typical bluegrass state in my mind yeah (laughs) but they're called they're called pixie and the party grass boys and um their music is super fun. They've got all the typical bluegrass. You got your banjos, your fiddles and things like that. And they have great music, but they also have um, 
like an environmental edge. So like they have an album that has music mixed with stories from the Colorado River region. Uh, and they just turn music into great storytelling too, which is just like the highest form of music for me. Yeah. So I mean, highly recommend Pixie and the Party Grass Boys. Home is the song that I've been just playing on loop over and over and over again. Okay, I'll add it. And oh my gosh, Daniel, thank you so much for today. And thank you everybody for listening and letting us uh, spend some time with you, whether you're on a walk or you're commuting or making dinner. We will see you next week. If you've loved this episode, please subscribe, rate, and leave reviews. I like to say it helps other people get the therapy they need, quote, unquote. And yes, again, we have our survey at the bottom. So click on that link. Send us what Daniel said, your workplace situation. I like it. And uh, we would love to have you uh, answer your, you know, your question or situation on another episode. So enjoy the rest of your day and we'll see you next week. 